Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, November 11th, 2022. It was on this day in 1417 that 23 cardinals, assisted by six delegates from each of the five nations of the Council of Constance, chose Odon Colonna as Pope Martin V. It was on this day in 1744, Abigail Adams, the second First Lady of the United States, born in Weymouth, Massachusetts. In 1884 on this day, eight men were convicted after the Chicago Haymarket Square riot. Seven were later condemned one was given a 15-year sentence. It was on this day in 1885 that George S. Patton, Jr., a legendary general during the Second World War, was born in San Gabriel, California, the same city in which I myself would eventually be born in the year 1970, but on a different day than today. Finally, it was on this day in 1918 that World War I officially came to an end with the signing of the armistice. And it is on this day, in deference to that signing of the armistice, that as a nation, the United States celebrates Veterans Day, a day in which we remember those men and now women who served their country in the military services. Distinct, of course, from Memorial Day, we remember Veterans Day, those who are still living, and we especially remember those who, after serving, especially those serving in combat, came back wounded, disfigured, scarred. Some of them scarred very deeply emotionally, but others especially came back without their legs, without their arms, disfigured in face. And we honor such programs as the Wounded Warriors Foundation, the Gary Sinise Foundation, and others like them, who as independent foundations, along with our government programs, work to show our gratitude to those veterans by offering them services to help them live productive and meaningful lives despite the disabilities caused by their military service. And we truly give thanks to those who have served this country in the military, and even those who experience such terrible, terrible experiences of war, so that we would not have to experience them ourselves. My mother once told me the story of shopping for us, her children, in Toys R Us, and encountering a dad who was looking at army figures army action figures with a certain discouragement and sadness in his eyes. And he just felt compelled to share with my mother who shared me the story that as he said to her, I've spent years trying to forget this experience. And now this is what my son wants to play with. We often lose sight of the fact that in many cases, even those who came back with their health intact, come back with tremendously difficult and sometimes, often all the time, 
painful memories of the experience of war. And I have known World War II veterans who were not entirely pleased with the film of Steven Spielberg, Saving Private Ryan, which got many accolades by working to portray as accurately as possible the horrors of war, and in particular the invasion of Normandy on D-Day. And while that film has gotten great notoriety and great fondness among audiences to help them really understand the horrors of war that these soldiers go through, there were those who, with a certain sadness, had shared with me and others along with me, we fought this war, we experienced this horror so that you would not have to experience it yourself. And now, movie makers are putting it on the big screen. While some veterans truly appreciate that portrayal, there are others who, in many ways, and quietly, see it as undermining part of the pride and the pain of the reasons they volunteered to fight in war to protect our freedom, not just the freedom we enjoy as a society, but the freedom of never having had to experience the horrors of war personally ourselves in this country. So keep that in mind as we see movies such as All Quiet on the Western Front, the 1930 movie, a powerful film that I myself have seen about World War I, which at the time it was made was not called World War I because there was not as yet a World War II, portrayed the horrors of that war and other films such as Saving Private Ryan, in which we truly admire the movie makers, the actors, the directors, the technicians who are able to portray such horrific images of what our soldiers go through, but also keep in mind that there are plenty of veterans out there who are saddened that their sacrifice in war and battle was also done so that we would not have to see such things, and now we have movies that portray them. It's a balance we do need to exercise in the honor that we give to our veterans, the thanks that we give to our veterans, not to undermine the quiet dignity that they have in those memories and a satisfaction that many of them have, that they experience those memories so that we would not have to experience them ourselves. Because of that, I have never seen Saving Private Ryan because I knew a wonderful, now deceased, World War II veteran. I will give you his name, Chester Chet Radwin, a man who in many ways was the, was the spitting image of my own grandfather, who had died at the time I met Chet, and Chet became a very, very good friend and supporter of me during my seminary studies, and he would often share with me his experiences of World War II, but after a short time of telling those stories, which he, said, he told me fondly, would often pause and say, let's talk about something else. And I've come to really respect the veterans in our midst, and I know if I continue talking, I will eventually get emotional in remembering Chet and other veterans like him. The sacrifice they gave, the portion of their lives 
they surrendered to serve our country, either serving in the military in times of peace, but some in times of war, experiencing that, that combat. And just as many of us, I hope most of us, would never ask a policeman the question, have you ever shot anyone? You just don't ask a policeman that question. I try and make a point in respect to our veterans and a veteran I have met to not ask them to tell me stories of their experience. If they wish to, I'm very grateful to hear those stories. And in many ways, I wish I had a recording because as our World War II veterans are dying, many archives are also disappearing. It's important for us to know what they went through in the service they gave to our country but let us always respect the silent dignity that they observe for the rest of their lives, those memories that they have of war that many of them don't want to share because they see their experience as part of that sacrifice. Many gave their lives to protect our freedom, but all of them in this experience allowed themselves that experience, put themselves into that experience so that we would not have to ourselves suffer that experience and live in freedom and peace with cherished and happy memories of our lives. So thank you to all those who served our country. And distinct from Memorial Day in which we remember those who were killed, we especially remember those veterans who are living and truly cherish what they went through and the sacrifice they made and continue to make, not only to protect our freedom, but to protect a life of peace that we enjoy in this country. We look at our political differences and even what our country is going through in its sharp divide and while we are discouraged by that divide, we, on the other hand, enjoy that divide, enjoy our differences, enjoy the political animosity and passion of a divided nation that can still live free to debate those differences, exercise our freedoms, and live in the democratic republic that they have fought to protect, to keep us safe from tyranny enjoying of freedom and a peace of mind that does not include the horrible memories of war which they themselves have experienced. On this day also, as a Catholic Church, we remember the feast of St. Martin of Tours, one of the early saints of our Church's history in the late centuries and decades of the Roman Empire as the empire was in decline and the society of Western Europe was falling into a dark age of the collapse of that civilization and the rise of the kingdoms and civilizations of the dark ages and subsequent middle ages, a saint who himself was a veteran. How many know that? Many people do. But it's an unusual but happy coincidence because these two days were not deliberately coinciding with one another. For centuries, 
St. Martin of Tours was celebrated on November 11th, and he became one of the most popular saints of the Middle Ages and continues to be a popular saint, especially in France, where the city of Tours is. And of course, maybe the diplomats and politicians and military leaders who brought about the events of Armistice Day, which brought about the end of World War I on this day, Maybe some of them had this in mind, but maybe it's just a happy and perhaps divinely inspired coincidence that on a day we celebrate as Veterans Day, as a church, we celebrate a saint who was a veteran. Martin of Tours was in the Roman army, particularly in the region that is now France. And at the end of his military life, he chose to finish his life in the monastery and would eventually become an important bishop who we still honor now as a saint in those early centuries of the church. And it is said, the very popular story of St. Martin of Tours, that as he was going through that transition from military life to the life of a monk, not knowing what God had planned for him for his future, in that vocation. The story goes that his, as he was traveling to his monastery, he came along a beggar begging on the side of the road. And this man who was leaving his military life saw this beggar, took his cloak, his military cloak, took his sword, his military sword, and cut his cloak in half, giving one half to the beggar on the road, shivering in the cold of the winter. Martin continued to his monastery where, shortly after he entered, in a dream he had a vision of Jesus Christ himself wearing that robe, that cloak, that half of, of Martin's military cloak that he had given to the beggar. A true illustration of the words of Christ in the gospel, I was hungry and you fed me, thirsty and you gave me drink, naked and you clothed me. And we see in that popular story of Martin, the words of Jesus, when you did it to the least of my little ones, you did it for me. And we go from Veterans Day to a saintly veteran, one of a number among the saints that we honor as a church, one of which was my own patron saint, William of Gelone, Duke of Aquitaine, under the court of Charlemagne, who often fought wars and battles against the Saracians of northern Spain to protect Christian society in France. While he was Duke of Aquitaine, he founded the monastery in Gelone, France, and it was there that he retired as a monk, not to become the abbot or a bishop like St. Martin of Tours, but as a simple monk making a promise of obedience to the abbot of the monastery that he, St. William, founded. And it was there in the town of Gelone, in the town chapel, he hung up his sword and his shield 
walked up the hill to that monastery and took a promise of obedience to live the rest of his life in a life of prayer and service to God. We also remember other legendary saints such as St. George, also a military man. We are familiar with the story of George and the dragon. But this was a man who, as a military man, later dedicated his life to faith and died a martyr's death. And there are other saints like William, George, and Martin of Tours, whose feast day we celebrate on this Veterans Day. And it calls to mind some priests that I have known who have had military service, and some still do as chaplains of the military, and in that are themselves veterans as they profess and serve in the religious life as priests in the service of God's people in that context. So on this Veterans Day, we say thank you. And we pray to St. Martin of Tours. And we hope that all of us may contribute in some ways to the well-being of our veterans. Jesus said there is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. But in many ways, our veterans have taken that even further than the words of Jesus. Ours is a military that not just protects our freedom, but in the midst of serving to protect American interests, have often been sent overseas to protect and restore the freedom of others. In World War I and in World War II, we liberated countries that were under siege and suffering the scourge of war, and in some cases, the oppression of conquerors. And they take those words of Jesus to a new level. Jesus said, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. These veterans laid down their life for total strangers, not even their own countrymen. And they do it with a tremendous sense of duty. And many of them are members of our own faith community, Christians and Catholic Christians. And we take consolation in examples of George, William, and on this day, Martin of Tours, and ask God to bless our veterans. They protect our freedoms in this country, freedoms which we often take for granted, freedoms which we think at times of difficulty are coming to an end. But given that, I'd like to comment over the last few days with regard to what has happened in our national election in the midterms of 2022. We often bemoan the fact that we're a very divided country and this election did not solve that problem. While we have states such as mine here in California that are dominated by single party rule, other states have a different party that dominate for the time being, those states just as one party dominates for the time being California, New York, New Jersey, Illinois. We see in our country, however, our nation will not be dominated by single party rule. And we saw that in this last election. 
I'd like to share with you words I shared with friends of mine on Facebook and in through email, my own thoughts. And obviously, like many of you, I have a particular political preference. I love following the current events, particularly political current events. Election night is my Super Bowl. Some people gather for parties and dinners, gathering with friends to watch the Super Bowl every year. Me, I like to do that every two years on election night. As a priest, I schedule nothing on election night, and if something is scheduled by someone else, I don't come and I tell them I am not available on that night because I gather with friends to watch the returns and see how this election will turn out. And over the last few elections, we have not seen a decisive decision declared on the night of election. And that perhaps is something that our nation needs to address so that our elections can return to a sense of credibility among all Americans, whether their side wins or not, that elections are done fairly and justly in which all our votes are counted. But my thoughts that I shared with people the day after this election, I'd like to share with you. And I'll read the brief commentary I made regarding this election and the turmoil, the animosity, the bitterness, the rivalry, the passion that we see between the two parties of this country, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. I'm not going to get partisan here. I don't think it's appropriate in a, in a podcast such as this, but let me at least give a perspective that might help all of us to see what really happened, what's continuing to happen, and what perhaps might have been God's will in this election. I believe strongly, as we see in such books of the Bible as the book of Daniel, where Daniel asserts to King Nebuchadnezzar that it was God who gave him his power, and God can take it away. It was God who handed Nebuchadnezzar Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah to bring the Jews into exile. It was God, as Isaiah tells us, who called Cyrus to be the pagan emperor of Persia, who allowed the Jewish people to return home from exile. And there's a very keen sense in the Bible, and especially the book of Daniel, if you ever read it, that God makes and breaks kings. A little-known story in the book of Daniel is Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the tree, in which Daniel's interpretation of the vision is that God will take the kingship away from Nebuchadnezzar. And God does. Nebuchadnezzar goes insane. We have a play and movie called The Madness of King George. This story is the story of the madness of King Nebuchadnezzar. And in this story, God took the kingship away from Nebuchadnezzar by taking away his sanity. But God eventually gave it back to Nebuchadnezzar. And then in the subsequent story of the handwriting on the wall, a much more well-known story in the book of Daniel, God takes the kingship away from Nebuchadnezzar's son, Balthazar, but he does not give it back. He gives it to the Persian king, Darius. Not the most historical story. Daniel's not necessarily a historical book because we know it was Cyrus who conquered Babylon. But the point of that story is God has judged Balthazar, found him unworthy of the power and kingship that he had initially given him and that he was going to take it away from him and give it to the Medes and the Persians. And as the story goes, even if it's not historically how it happened, that very night, Balthazar fell and was killed as God gave the power and kingship to the Persian Empire. 
So we must keep in mind that everything is in the hands of God. And God can work through a blood succession of kings and princes as much as he can work through a democracy in which really the only power we have, and it's an important one that we all must exercise, we have just the power of one vote. And we pray that our leaders and those who supervise the collection and counting of votes respect that and do not suppress the votes that all of us have. But that's really the only power we have is one vote. We don't have any control over how anyone else votes. And it is in there that we see God's work and will through us and the collective vote that we have for our country. Does God reward us? Does God allow us to be put through a time of turmoil? Perhaps God is admonishing us as a society, but we always pray that God protect us and protect our society and especially our religious freedoms that we enjoy in this country and in so many places throughout the world. But what were we expecting in this last election? We were expecting another red wave. We were looking forward to it in some circles, not looking forward to it among others. But in the end, what happened? How did it turn out? Well, however it turns out, we didn't see a red wave. It turned out to be a red ripple. And frankly, the morning after the, after the election, every pollster should have egg on their face because they blew it. Their predictions for the upcoming election, their reading of the voters and the population of various regions and the country as a whole fell flat. But this was not the first time. Let me just name a few recent elections. They blew it in 2016, these pollsters. Hillary's going to win by a landslide. They blew it in 2018. The GOP is in a strong position. They blew it in 2020. Trump is going to be reelected by a landslide. And now again, red wave, red wave, surfs up, woohoo! In the end, Donald Trump won in 2016. The Democrats won in 2018. Joe Biden won in 2020. And no one won in 2022. I think this country gave a collective repudiation of both parties on election night. Both parties claimed a win would be a second coming for the country and a loss would be the end of all things and the end of democracy. And the voters pretty much said, enough already. With regard to what was expected in a red wave, ask yourself whether you're Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, when has the GOP ever followed up on any red wave? In 1994, with the contract with America. Then what? President Clinton got reelected over a moderate Republican. In the year 2000, there was the 9-11 disaster and, and attack and the war on terror. Well, then what? President Bush got hammered by the press and the Democrats after the re-election mandate that he enjoyed, but then sat there and took it. Didn't even try to keep his party in the White House while his party shunned him. Didn't want him to campaign for them. In 2008, there was John McCain. Need I say more? 
I just remember someone at one of his town hall election events, campaign events, begging him to push back just a little in the campaign, and Senator McCain responded by giving the man a hug. In 2010, Tea Party. Then what? Again, the incumbent opposition party president still got reelected over another moderate Republican. In 2016, it was an upset victory with a president who did push back, who did get results, but his own party decided to eat their own leader rather than govern as a party. And they're still eating him. Sometimes I wonder if I should start calling the grand old party the grand praying mantis party that cannibalize each other after mating. And now, red wave, red wave. Country's going to hell in a handbasket. We'll solve all the problems. Are we really surprised by the national results? It's like the voters said to both parties and all their rhetoric in the campaign, sorry, you're not fooling anybody anymore. For those expecting a red wave, I would say, you know, perhaps Governor DeSantis and Governor Kemp in Florida and Georgia, respectively, are rays of hope because they showed as leaders that they were able to change minds and votes after four years to win a decisive victory this time around when both of them won their first terms by the skin of their teeth. One could say California was decisive, but that election of the current governor, the re-election of the current governor, was also a foregone conclusion for California. Nothing really changed. And the same for Texas, which re-elected a governor of the other party. In New York and Michigan, the effort was not enough to win and flip the governorships of those two states, but the efforts and the election results did prove something. We'll see how things happen in Arizona and Nevada. Maybe, as the votes continue to be counted days after the election, which has brought up also other concerns with regard to elections integrity, but also the, the system that those states have currently enacted to count the votes where time was when we knew the election results the night of the election and now it's taking days, sometimes weeks. Something's not right, regardless of how it turns out. And as for the Georgia campaign for Senate, prepare for a bloodbath as we prepare for that state to conduct a runoff between the two candidates. That obviously is an important one because the power structure and the power um, alignment in the Senate hangs in the balance. Some say we pray that those 2% libertarians may come back and vote for one candidate or the other, but I know a few libertarians and they believe in their party. They believe in what libertarianism as a political movement stands for. But at any, at any rate, that's my take. It wasn't a great night for either party, but not a terrible one either. Both parties need a revamping of their leadership, perhaps. We'll see how the next two years go. But one thing I think we can be certain is that if we were worried about one-party rule in our nation, regardless of how we see it in some states, we're not going to see that on the national level. 
while it looks like the Republicans may have a majority in the House of Representatives, and perhaps they might get a majority in the Senate, perhaps the Democrats may hold on to it. We are seeing a divided government, which in many ways is not necessarily what our founding fathers didn't want. They designed a government to be at odds with itself. Three branches on the federal level, each with its own enumerated powers so that all power is not concentrated in an individual or in a single institution. Their role is to provide checks and balances. A lot of people say we need a government that gets things done so that unity and bipartisanship is the name of the day. Well, you look at how the Constitution was formed, and I'm not sure the government wanted, or I'm not sure our founding fathers wanted our government to get along. They wanted our government to be in conflict with each other, checking each other. How many people were upset with certain Supreme Court decisions over the last summer, and many of those upset were in the Congress and the presidency. And frankly, they're supposed to get upset because the Supreme Court is there to check the power of the other two branches. The other two branches are there to check the power of the Supreme Court. And each branch is there to check the power of the other two branches of government. Presidency to the Congress and the Supreme Court, Congress to the Supreme Court and presidency. That's why we have three houses, three branches of government. And in the Congress, in the Congress, we have two houses to keep itself in check. So perhaps this divided government is not necessarily a bad thing. And while we exercised our privilege and our duty to vote, in the end, we leave it up to God's will. And on the morning of Election Day, in the parish I'm currently at, Tuesday is my day off, and the parish normally even under the pastor I am serving for while he is on sabbatical, Tuesday is the day that they have a communion service rather than Mass. Well, I decided on Election Day to celebrate Mass. Not many people came. I was a little disappointed in that. However, my focus was not partisanship. I have a particular political preference, obviously. Maybe it's a little too obvious in the podcasts I've given. But I offer that Mass to remind people that all things are in God's hands. The result we have will be what God's will is for this country. And those politicians and candidates who are elected ultimately get that power and that position from God. How they will exercise that remains to be seen. But God makes and breaks kings and politicians how much more does he do so in a collective effort such as a democratic republic? As much as he would in a blood succession in a monarchy. And so we may be disappointed and frustrated, but we do not have a single party rule to dominate our nation. We have a divided government in the structure of three branches, but also in the sharp divide between the two political parties as they vie for power and influence in our government, I hope 
that that divided government will be so preoccupied with fighting among themselves for dominance and power that the structure has prevented any one branch or any one individual from holding that we will see them staying more and more out of our lives and less imposition like we saw during the pandemic in which the government truly dominated our lives for better for worse for good reasons or not hindered our freedoms as a people not the least of which was our religious freedom when the governments ordered the closure of our churches unconstitutionally if you read the first amendment it says the congress shall make no laws to establish a religion or to prevent the free exercise thereof and they were certainly preventing the free exercise of our faith and some continue to try to do so and while doctors pundits social media figures if they wrote or spoke or gave a video or podcast that was contrary to the narrative and what the government wanted the government simply shut them down canceled their their uh, social media accounts and silenced them but when people got together to freely exercise their faith and their freedom to worship guaranteed in our constitution that's when they got arrested that's when the government came in and arrested many of them and i hope we never see that again in this country there are different ways it could have been handled and i won't get into them now i believe i've already spoken to them in previous podcasts but i did not vote in this election to protect democracy i participated in a democracy to protect freedom our veterans fought to protect our freedom i voted to protect our freedom and of course in my profession my calling i voted to protect our first freedom which is not freedom of speech that's the second freedom the first freedom in our bill of rights is freedom of religion and i remembered that when i went and voted and i hope our leaders will remember that as our nation did not hand the republican party the red wave they were so diligently and so confidently expecting they did not grant the democratic party an increase in the very slim majority that they had and perhaps there's a good chance that god will take that majority away and give it to the other party but however it turns out it is not a big majority it's a slim one it will be a slim one and it will be interesting to see how that will play out in the next few years so we still see god's hand in this and while we analyze politically what happened as a people of faith let us recognize god is in charge many of you think that god has abandoned our country and there are very good reasons for many people to think that if you do all the more reason to go to mass worship receive the eucharist pray to god go to your churches and pray to god if you believe god has abandoned this country and pray that god will return to this country i for one do not believe god has abandoned this country and many agree with that sentiment as well in my knowledge and my love of history if there's one thing i've learned is in a very peculiar way in our very brief 
history compared to the history of other nations throughout all of human progress and civilization, in many, many ways, God has blessed this country. God continues to bless this country. God is with this country. And for all we know, and perhaps we do, as people of faith, the election of 2022, with all its disappointments, was God's will for the betterment of this nation. Do we really want to be dominated by a single party? One party might dominate and have very good results, others not so much. I don't want to get into specific states, but we see where states are truly prospering and flourishing, and states in which we truly see society in the mess that we see so many times with so many images on the news. But let us pray that in this election, however the final tally turns out to be, that we recognize the hand of God in this, that we don't lose hope for our nation, that while we exercise the important duty we have to vote and make our voices heard, which is essential in a democracy, that God ultimately will continue to look after this country so that our freedoms are protected that we continue to overcome our shortcomings as a nation, one after the other, so that we can be a beacon of freedom, liberty, equality of all human beings, but especially as a first freedom that our founding fathers deliberately listed first in our Bill of Rights, freedom to exercise our religion, not just in the church and in the home. That's freedom of worship. Freedom of religion is the freedom to go forth from our worship, to live that faith we profess in our lives as a family, in our work, and in how we try to influence the future and progress of our nation. It's a lot to reflect upon on Veterans Day and on this feast of St. Martin of Tours. So that's my perspective. I hope it makes sense. I hope we don't lose heart, but let us always have faith that God has a plan and that in this nation, he makes use of us to bring about that plan in the important role we have as voters. Let us pray that those officials who conduct, oversee elections and the counting of votes, not ballots, legitimate votes, that God will bless them with an honesty and integrity so that we don't lose faith in the honesty and integrity of our elections. But let us especially, in deference to the wonderful veterans who gave up so much and sacrificed so much and continue to quietly sacrifice for us with the memories they have of the hell and horrors of combat to protect those freedoms. Let's not lose hope. We are a divided nation. That may be a good thing. With divisions, we don't have groupthink that can lead to tyranny. But let's pray for an increase in civility so that we can have this national discussion, this national debate, and go forth as a strong, wise, reflective, deliberative country in which we, the people, have the primary say in the direction we want our country to go.
and in this last election, we said to the fiery rhetoric of both sides, enough already. You're not fooling anyone. We will keep things as they are until you provide for us leaders that can inspire us and in which we can place in their hands the future and prosperity of our nation for the temporary period of those terms of office. But let us have pride, at least in the perspective I like to share. God has not abandoned our nation, although many times it seems he has. And where on either side it may seem discouraging, let's see it as a call for all of us to not lose faith, to double down our convictions for this country, regardless of our political affiliations and beliefs, so that we can, as a people, collectively, in our districts, our states, and our nation as a whole, exercise our God-given rights while always leaving it open to God, the direction he wants for this country. And we pray that it will be a good one and that our country will continue, that we will not be punished for our nation's current sins while we remember how we've overcome our past shortcomings. So I don't want to belabor it. I'll only get repetitive if I keep going. But don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. Thank our veterans. Pray to the likes of Martin of Tours that our veterans be blessed and that their sacrifice and service not be in vain. We owe it to them to not lose faith, to be faithful to our duties as citizens, and ensure the future prosperity and progress of our nation. So thank you for listening, and with any luck, I will talk to you again soon.